0: Hello and welcome to the Red Team podcast with me, Colin Talbot, talking about government, politics, public services. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined for this session by Simon Cooper, who's produced a interesting and and already slightly controversial book called Chums, How a Tiny Cast of Oxford Tories Took Over the UK. Um, Simon, what's the main argument in your book?
1: And the main argument is that the UK is an oxocracy, Uh, the power elite comes almost entirely from Eton, 11 of 15 post-war Prime Ministers, including the last um, three straight. And also that Oxford is the place where you need to go back to, Oxford in the 80s, to understand today's British ruling caste, who they are, why they made Brexit, what they believe. People like Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, Jacob Rees-Mogg, um, Dominic Cummings before he was ousted, but of course a very important member, and Dan Hannan, the Brexit ideologue, the sort of Karl Marx
0: of Brexit, all come from there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I suppose in a sense, the uh, the argument about Oxford and well, Oxford and Cambridge dominating the British political elite isn't new. I just wondered what's new about specifically about that Brexit group. Why they've emerged from that period.
1: Uh, I mean, uh, in terms of new, we know Oxford and Cambridge have this astonishing group. In fact, in politics, and so was all Oxford. What is important about the Brexit group is they are people who, from the age of eight, really expect to wind up running Britain. And that's what their cast does, the let's say the boarding school and Oxford cast. And in their history books, ruling Britain is a glorious thing. You know, you have empire, you have world wars, and the Toff cast, the boarding school cast, also produces great literature and helps invent the uh, form of Alan Turing, for example, the computer, they help split the atom, uh, they write Alice in Wonderland. And these are, in their imaginations, the male British Toff sits at the top of the human totem pole. His rightful role is ruling the UK. And then in September 88, just two or three weeks before Jacob Rees-Mogg and I started Oxford at the same time, Margaret Thatcher gives her Bruce speech where she says, actually, there's this European superstate developing in Brussels and they want to rule Britain. These Brussels bureaucrats are going to usurp the powers of Westminster. Now, you know, most British people are not very interested in this. Most British people, I think, didn't particularly care whether they were ruled by a distant elite in Brussels or a distant elite in Westminster. But the top... Cast these boarding school and Oxford boys, they think, hang on, the power of Westminster, that's our power, that's what we're going to do when we grow up. This is the power, historic power of our caste. And so they take Thatcher's Warning very personally, and they become, they finally find the great cause that they need for their political generation. And so Dan Hernan, as a first-year history student in 1990, starts the Oxford campaign for an independent Britain. With the future UKIP MP Mark Reckless, they started an Oxford coffee shop. And that, with hindsight, looks a lot like the origins of the Brexit idea. Another second year student called Patrick Robertson founds the Brews Group, which will become very influential in the next 25 years in uh, developing the Eurosceptic network in Britain. So if you want to look for the origins of Brexit, I'd say it's Oxford in the late 80s, early 90s.
0: I mean, what I think what you're saying is that actually this is a, a split, really, in the Oxford Tory generation, because there were other Oxford Tories who were there at the same time who were on the other side of the Brexit argument. Um, and, and one of the things that you bring out in the book is the sort of the way in which the Oxford Union taught these people to behave in politics as, as groups and slates around particular sets of ideas or actually really just about growing power? Yeah, so everyone, almost
1: everyone, who's going to become politically powerful in Britain in 2022 was at Oxford in the 80s. Keir Starmer was there as well. He was a graduate student. He finished in Oxford in 1987, exactly the same month as Johnson left. The Cameron people, you know, George Osborne and Cameron's Eaton, grouping is all there as well and so you have this split in this generation between institutionalism you know steady as she goes which is the cameron way and then a more kind of assertive british radicalism let's say which is the johnson thing of course all linked very much with personal ambitions and personal rivalries so johnson sees cameron as a uh, as a usurper of Johnson's rightful powers because they'd been at school in Oxford together. Johnson won Glittering Prizes, was president of the Oxford Union, Cameron was. And so all these things come together. And the union, as you say, is very important. The Oxford Union Debating Society, nearly 200 years old now, which is where politically ambitious, mostly right-wing public school boys go as soon as they arrive in Oxford. And they know that this is the fastest route to Westminster, that people like William Gladstone, Harold Macmillan, Ted Heath, had all been through it, Um, Theresa May just before then to become president, though her future husband did, she was a union officer, this was the the Tory route to power, and in some phases the Labour route as well, Uh, people like Michael Fort and Tony Benn, but not in the 80s. And so what do you learn at the union, you learn how to speak, you learn not so much brilliant analytical debating skills, you could do that, and Michael Gove, who was also union president, was that kind of debater. But for Johnson, it was more kind of comedic performance that did very well. You know, facts were not respected at the Union. You had to entertain and nobody could do that better than him. So the Johnson that we see in British politics today is very recognisably the 20-year-old Johnson who bestrode the Union.
0: Yeah, I think the, the, the sections of the book where you talk about the Union debates and particularly the lack of respect for facts and the... Uh, emphasis on entertainment I thought were really interesting could you explain that a little bit more and also about the status of the union because I think most people think it's part of Oxford University
1: yes so the union is a kind of independent club and at any time usually thousands of students join and they get fantastic speakers you know people like Richard Nixon people from the Commons. Uh, I I saw Benjamin Netanyahu, the young Netanyahu, and Ted Heath speak there when I was a student. So, I mean, they're wonderful debates, but it's also a very political club. And they organize elections every term, three times a year. So it's wonderful training for future politicos and kind of assembling alliances. And, um, you know, it's very posh. um, Speakers wear white tie. Union officers wear white tie. And you sort of have to know how debating works. And, of course, the public school boys learned that at public school. Almost nobody else, people from the state schools and also women, didn't learn that at, at, at girls' boarding schools. So the stage really belongs mostly to these Atonians. And it's an entertainment venue. You know, most of the time, people go on Thursday nights to have fun. It's raucous. And so, so when Americans... Students who come from this much more factual debating tradition would would cite statistics to support their argument. People from in the audience would shout "facts" or "boring," and this was seen as very you know loser strategy. And then you had people like you know famously in the eighties, Michael Gove, Simon Stevens, who later became head of the NHS, and Nick Robinson presents the the Today program. They were all very kind of rapier like debaters, very very uh, able to tear apart an opponent's argument and be funny. Johnson was just a funny man, and he, he'd learned enough about British debating techniques to be able to perform them as parody, and to mock himself, and this went down terrifically well, and he, at the second attempt, was elected President of
0: the Union, which he was Union President in 1986. That's really interesting. Um, I, could you just expand a little bit more about this thing about facts, because I, I think quite a lot of people struggle to get their heads around the fact that they have such a cavalier attitude towards facts and that they they just don't really matter. And it's the result that matters. It's the performance that matters. It's the speech that
1: matters. And I argue in the book that it's a lot of British upper-class education and Oxford as well, focuses on presentation, on writing well. So the centerpiece of an Oxford arts education and most Oxford students in those days certainly were art students. The centerpiece is the essay. You write an essay for your tutor. You don't know much about the subject. You're 18 years old. You're probably hungover. You have other things on your mind, but you write this seven-page essay, which is elegant but not hugely informed. And then you have the tutorial where the tutor says, "Ah, oh, but you know, um, you've ignored the arguments of so and so, uh, and there's a hole in your argument here." And then you, for an hour, you talk your way around the holes in your knowledge and in your argument. So, what do you come out knowing? You know how to write essays, and you know how to speak. And you see that particularly in the commons, I think more so on the Tory side, you see um, these very elegant verbal performances often or comic verbal performances. Johnson's not elegant, but he's comic, which is mostly what they've learned. And they leave the kind of, you know, reading the thick dossier and going through the brief with a, you know, with a pencil, they leave that to the sort of more lower middle class um, swats girly swats in Johnson's term. That's not what the uh, men in charge uh, want to do with their time.
0: They are front of stage. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, the, your final chapter's um, taken, the title's taken from Lenny and what is to be done. Uh, I just want, if you could explain for us what you think does need to be done.
1: Look, I'm not a an iconoclast by the instinct. I think Oxford and Cambridge have, some very good qualities, which I'd like to preserve but spread much more broadly across the British population. I mean, historically, these universities have educated, uh, entitled 18-year-old public school boys who knew at the age of eight they wouldn't go to Oxbridge. And that has diminished in recent years. I'll be fair to Oxbridge. They let in far more state school people now. At Oxford last year, it was 68% of new students were from state school. Admittedly, very often the leafier state schools, the state grammars in Buckinghamshire kind of thing, but still there is improvement. But what I would say is let's have Oxbridge for all. Let's uh, get rid of undergraduate teaching. Let's keep the brilliant research. I mean, Oxford gets more research funding than any other European university. There's, There's some very good academics there now. It's much more stringent the recruitment of academics than it was in the 80s. And let's find bright, motivated people around the population and say, you're 37 years old, you didn't go to university first time round because of where your life was at the time or where you come from in social class, but you are totally motivated to study X in Oxford. We will make that happen for you, whether it's a summer course or three years or whatever, we will spread the excellence that these universities do have, not everywhere, but in many parts, to the, the most deserving people of all ages and classes in the population, and not focus it on a particular class of 18 year olds.
0: I think that's fascinating. I I have to say I have a bias in favour of that argument, having uh, grown up on council estates and left school when I was 16 and ended up going into academia uh, much later in life, in my late 30s, and and not really encountering this culture that you describe until I was well into my 40s, I think. Um, So it's it's been absolutely fascinating reading about it in more detail, and I certainly have sympathy with that argument about how we certainly ought to be looking at how we reform Oxford and Cambridge. Um, So thanks very much for joining me, Simon. That's been really interesting. Thanks a lot.
1: Thank you, Colin. I enjoyed that.
0: I was in conversation with Simon Cooper, whose new book, Chums, How a Tiny Cast of Oxford Tories Took Over the UK has recently been published by Profile Books. Thanks for listening.